Okay, but we are going to be reading in Matthew chapter 6 this morning and uh, verse 9 where we have been for the past five weeks. This is the sixth week. And we're going to be speaking on the subject, Teach Us to Pray. And this morning I want to title the message, Prayer is About Rejoicing. Prayer is About Rejoicing. So if you access the scripture this morning, let's read it together. And you will remember that the disciples had come to Jesus and they had requested for him to teach them how to pray. And this was his response. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then this morning we are going to be keying in on the latter part of that 13th verse that we are about to read. He concluded that model prayer by saying, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Bow your heads for just a moment, please, and let's pray. Father, we are grateful today that we have opportunity to be here in the house of God. And we are thankful today, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we sense in this house. And as we have worshiped and as we have praised your name, Father, we are grateful for your presence. We come to the reading of the word and the expounding of the word, and I just pray that you will enable me and give me capability that I do not possess on my own. I look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. I look to you for your divine ability. Anoint me that I may be effective in ministering your word. I would ask this morning, Lord, that your name would be glorified and that your people would be edified. And whether they are watching here in the service or if they are watching online, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be present and that you will touch hearts and lives and that you will allow your work and your kingdom to move forward. And we ask all of these things this morning in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone in agreement with that prayer said amen. So as we begin this morning, I am sure that you are aware that we've been working through the principles of the Lord's Prayer, and we have been striving to take each of those principles on a more in-depth level and, and looking at what Jesus is teaching, not only his disciples, but us as well in how that we are to pray. And today we come to that closing part of the prayer in verse 13, and I want to title the message, Prayer is About Rejoicing. And I want to begin today's message by tackling what in some circles has, uh, has been a controversy as to about whether or not these particular words uh, should even be included in the text, because some of the modern Bible translations leave out this portion of the prayer completely. Some of the Bible translations leave out the words, for thine is the kingdom, the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. Pastor Gary, what do you mean? I'm saying that there are some commentators and there are some modern biblical translations that completely omit the words, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And their reasoning for doing so, their reason for doing so is they say that the words were not found in two of the oldest manuscripts. So basically there are those in this camp that they are saying that these words were not actually spoken by Jesus. And, and they say that they were, you know, added words by the scribes that copied the scrolls or whatever. But let me give you some examples of what I'm saying this morning. If you are here this morning and you are reading from the English Standard Version, the words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, they have been omitted. If you are here this morning and you are reading from the NIV, the words have been omitted. If you're reading from the American Standard Version, which was published in 1901, the words have been omitted. However, if you are reading the American Standard Version that was republished in 1995, the words have been included. If you're here this morning and you are reading from the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, the Darby Translation, the Dolman Christian Standard Bible, the Young's Literal Translation, and I could go on and on and on with different translations, but the point is, if you're reading any of those translations, the final words of his prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, they have definitely been included. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is why the difference? What is the difference? And the answer to that question is that some of our modern day Bible translations are based upon two Alexandrian manuscripts from the late 14th or 4th century, the late 4th century. And many of our oldest Bible translations are based upon all of the Byzantine uh, manuscripts and the third oldest manuscript from the early 5th century. The biblical text criticism, the Byzantine texts are also called the majority text, the traditional text, the ecclesiastical text, and, and they all are they're, they're found in large number and they are found with the largest number of surveying manuscripts. And so some of our Bibles, our modern translations have omitted the words because they are based upon different manuscripts than the other Bibles. I personally was raised on the King James Bible, and that's why that I study and I read and I preach from the King James. But that doesn't mean that I am opposed to other translations. So when I prepare to speak or when I study, 
I study from different translations and different, uh, different manuscripts, and I, I know there are some people that, you know, are in the King James only camp, and there are some folks that want to argue about which translation to read, and I bring all of this up this morning not to enter into that argument or enter into that conversation, but what I want you to say or what I want you to know this morning is that that the, all of these manuscripts bring to us the, God's word. And, 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 I, and, and even though I am a King James reader and I preach from the King James, I, I can tell you that even the King James Bible has translational errors. Can you prove that, Pastor Gary? Now, before, before you pronounce me a heretic, let me just show you what I mean. So if you look in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, this is what the Bible says, and this is the King James reading. It says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And God told Abraham, behold, Abraham said, here am I. And God said, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him in the land of Moriah as an offering unto the Lord upon one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, let that sink in. It says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. How can it be that God tempted Abraham when James chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil and neither does he tempt any man. That's a contradiction, right? Well, it's just a translational error. The truth is that God didn't tempt Abraham. God tested Abraham. God tried Abraham. God verified Abraham's faith. God confirmed Abraham's faith. God took an assessment of Abraham's faith. Amen. It could have been, it could have been translated any of those things, but it shouldn't have been translated. God tempted Abraham. So you understand what I'm saying? The bottom line is that some translations are based upon certain manuscripts that leave out the words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And some translations are based upon equally reliable manuscripts that leave the words in. I personally believe that they coincide with the rest of the scripture, and I will show you why. Turn with me if you will, to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 10 and verse number 11. So when we get into the discussion of whether the words should be there or the words should not be there, here's my answer. I believe that the words, the final words that Jesus spoke are absolutely trustworthy, absolutely reliable, and absolutely true because they are in harmony with the rest of God's word. And here's what 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 10 says. And this is King David speaking. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all of the congregation. And David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Listen to verse 11. For thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is thine. 
For thine is the kingdom, O Lord, thou art exalted as head above all things. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Doesn't that sound a little eerily like, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Amen. Let me read it again. For thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and all that is in heaven and everything that is in earth. Amen. It is all yours. Thine is the kingdom. O Lord, you are exalted and you have been made the head of all things. I don't have a problem believing the last line in Matthew at all because it says the same thing in 1 Chronicles 29. The context of Chronicles chapter 29 is this. They had prayed at the time when the children of Israel had brought in all of the gold and all of the silver and the precious stones and the resources to build the temple that David desired to build unto the Lord. If you were a student of the Bible this morning, you will remember that King David desired to build a permanent tabernacle for God, for God to dwell upon, amen, or in. And he was, amen, he was desirous to build a temple for the Lord. And God said, David, you have blood upon your hands, and I'm not going to allow you to build the temple. But I tell you what, I will let your son Solomon build the temple. And David said, if I can't build it, I can at least give toward the building project. And David had all announcement made before the children of Israel and told him his dream and told him his desire. Amen. They told him of the things that he wanted to do and how that God said that he would allow Solomon to build it. And they brought in gold and silver and lumber and precious stones and all of those things. Amen. To prepare for the building of the temple. And when all of that had been gathered, David prayed that prayer of thanksgiving and that prayer of worship and that prayer of praise and that prayer to honor, amen, God for all that he had done. Saints of God, that is the overarching intention of the final words that are recorded in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13. Amen. The final words are the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It is a resounding oh, praise. It is a resounding worship unto the Lord. It is an expression of worship and adoration. It is a, an expression of praise and celebration. Literally, it is the doxology of the prayer that Jesus prayed. In other words, uh, it was the crescendo. It was the, the final you belong. Uh, amen. Lord at the head, you belong. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. In other words, it is the doxology of the Lord's prayer. It echoes the praise and the worship that is found in David's prayer. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, amen, doxology is just a theological term for worship and praise and honor and giving glory unto God. 
Amen. The Lord's prayer ends with a doxology. It ends with worship and praise. The statement for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is a recognition and a declaration that God alone deserves all of the praise and that God alone deserves all of the glory. It is a recognition and a declaration that God deserves all of our admiration and all of our acclamation, all of our worship and all of our adoration, all of our devotion and all of our appreciation. It is a, amen, a declaration that God deserves all of our awe and all of our wonder. He is God. The kingdom is not ours. The kingdom is not ours. The power is not ours. The glory is not ours. But the glory and the power and the kingdom belong unto God. Hallelujah. The doxology of the Lord's prayer confirms that it is not about us. It's all about him. Hello? It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you, but it's about his kingdom, his glory, his power, his majesty. It is a declaration of praise unto God forever and ever. And this morning I want to take, as we have done in the past, I want to take each of those phrases and break them down just a little bit. Amen. And look more closely at them. Number one. The first thing that we read is, for thine is the kingdom. It teaches us about his preeminence and his supremacy. For thine is the kingdom. Let me share with you some scriptures this morning about the preeminence of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, this is what it says. Give thanks unto the Father which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, in Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. He who is the image, he, Jesus, he who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Talking about his preeminence. All things were created by him. And for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. 
It's all about him. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about him. Amen. It is, he is the head of the church. He is the preeminent one. He is, amen. He is the one that created all things. Ephesians chapter one and verse 18 says, amen. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he God wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and listen to this and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion amen and every name that is named not only in this world but in the world which is to come my lord that's enough to make a baptist shout <laughs> amen and god has put all things under his feet and give him to be the head over all things i'm talking about his preeminence Amen. When we, when we pray, thine is the kingdom, it teaches us that it is not about us, but it is about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his glory. It's about his majesty. It's about his power. It all belongs to him. Hmm. And the good news in all of that is he has brought us in him. He has brought us into his kingdom. Amen. Church, we need to understand that Christ, our Savior, our Lord, has been made the head of all things in heaven and in earth. God the Father put all things under his feet. We may look around this world this morning and we may feel like everything is spiraling out of control. We may look around this morning and feel like that the forces of hell are in control of the the nations of the world but let me just tell you something this morning amen we are only looking at the nations of a fallen world but we need to understand and what we cannot see with a natural eye and what we cannot see or understand without amen the insight of the Holy Spirit is that there is a God that sits on the throne this morning and he is still in control of all things amen in heaven and in earth if we we feel like it's falling out of control I tell you this morning God is still in control hmm. amen when we pray for thine is the kingdom we acknowledge that Jesus went to the cross that he died on Calvary and rose from the dead and now he seats or sits at the right hand of the father making intercession for you and I when we pray for thine is the kingdom, we acknowledge that he alone deserves our worship, our love, our devotion, and our allegiance. When we pray for thine is the kingdom, we acknowledge his supremacy, his majesty. We acknowledge that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And we are recognizing our place as servants. When we pray for thine is the kingdom, we acknowledge that it is his kingdom. That he alone is the source of the kingdom. He alone is the source of the power. He alone is the source of the glory. He alone has 
has the right and the authority to rule and reign. And because Jesus said, I have overcome, you can overcome also. It all belongs to him. Isn't it amazing that we talk about things like my money, my house, my life, my job, my, my, my. None of it is ours. Everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. It is his kingdom. He alone possesses the preeminence and the power. It is his kingdom. Now let's consider the next phrase and the power. The second thing that we read is, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the power. We have established the fact that it is his kingdom and that he is a sovereign God and that he is in complete control. And now this morning we are reminded to rejoice in the fact that he has the power to control all things. How many of you have ever looked at a situation in life and you wanted to change things, but you were powerless to do so. Ever been there? Woke up this morning in that situation. Right? But he, hey, here's the good news. He is the power. He is the power. Amen, beloved. We do not serve a weak and frail or anemic God. Amen. We serve a God who can do all things. Job chapter 9 and verse number 4 said, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Jesus, or the Bible says of Jesus and God in Psalm 62 and 11, God has spoke once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs unto God. Psalm 65 and verse 6 said, He established the mountains by his strength. And get this, he is clothed with power. He is clothed with power. In other words, he wears power like you wear a coat. He is clothed with power. The Bible speaks in Psalms chapter 24 and verse 8, and the question is asked, who is the king of glory? And the answer comes resounding back through the corridors of heaven, and this is the answer. The Lord, strong and mighty, he is the king of glory. The question is asked again, who is the king of glory? And the answer returns, the Lord, who is mighty in battle? He is the king of glory. Once more, the, the question is asked, who is uh, this king of glory? And the answer comes back, the Lord of hosts uh, is his name. He is the king of glory. What the, uh, what the psalmist is saying uh, is that we serve a God who is mighty in power and mighty indeed. He is the king of glory. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundant above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Matthew 19 and 26 says, with God all things are possible. Here's a piece of good news. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 said that he's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
In other words, if he did have the power, he does have the power, and he always will be. Amen? He always will have. We serve a mighty God. We serve a God that cannot lie. We serve a God that does not change. And we serve a God who cannot fail. Amen. When we pray and the power, we acknowledge our weakness and recognize his incredible strength. When we pray and the power, we acknowledge our lack and we recognize his supply. Amen. For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. This is the words of Jesus. He says, and all power, not some power, not, you know, a few limited powers, but all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. For thine is the kingdom. He, he possesses the preeminence and the power. He alone possesses the power. And the third thing, amen, and the glory forever, which teaches us that he alone deserves the glory. Everything that our God does this morning, he does to bring glory to the name and reverence of our Father. He alone deserves the glory. Psalms 8 and 1. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth who has set the glory above the heavens. Psalms 19 and 1. The heavens declare the glory of our God. Psalms 104 and verse 31. The glory of the Lord endures forever. Psalms 113 and verse 4, amen, the Bible said the Lord is high above all nations and his glory is above all of the heavens. Isaiah 6 and 3, amen, the Bible said that the angels and the seraphims cry, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. He does what he does that he might be honored by his creation. He does the things that he does, that, he, that we and men might be drawn to him, amen, and bring our worship and our praise. He does what he does so that his name will be exalted among those who do not know him. He alone is gracious and glorious and magnificent. He alone is marvelous and excellence. He alone deserves the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise and all of the worship forever and ever. Amen. And we come to that amen. I'm going to preach on the amen for just a minute. The fourth thing is the amen. Have you ever stopped to consider what amen means? Have you ever stopped to consider, is it just a religious ritual? Is it our way of saying 10-4 and out? Roger and out. Is it our way of saying, I'm done now? We have to have a concluding point. This is it. What does it mean? Forever and ever, amen. Amen in the Bible, it means so be it. So be it. It means it shall be so. 
It means it shall be true. It means I affirm what has been said. Amen. Amen means let it be so. Literally, when we, when we say amen, we are saying so be it. We're saying, Lord, let it be just as you have promised. Let it be just as we have prayed. Amen. Let it be exactly what we have prayed. When we pray amen, it means yes, Lord. It means uh, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. Forever and ever, so be it. Let it be established. Let it be truth. Let what I have prayed be exactly the way that we've prayed it. Ever and ever, amen, when Jesus says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is the final yes, I agree. Yes, what I've spoken is absolutely truth. Let it be established in my life. Let it be established in my ways. So I want to conclude this part of this text this morning by just kind of recapping what we have spoke over the past few five weeks. And I want you just to remind yourself, jot it down. Remember, he said, pray in this manner. He's not teaching us a prayer to be memorized to pray over every situation. He's, he's teaching us principles about prayer. And so that first principle, the first thing that we covered, when we pray our Father, he is teaching us about relationship. He's teaching us that God has brought us into his family and we are his children. Our Father. Our Father, relationship. When we pray which art in heaven, he's teaching us about recognition. He's teaching us to recognize who we are and who we rely upon and where he is. He is in heaven. He is in a, another dimension far above our dimension. He's teaching us recognition. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, he's teaching us to just be reverent and honor him and reverence him. He's teaching us that when we approach him that we are to come humbly and we are to come recognizing how great and how mighty that he really is. When we pray thy kingdom come, he's teaching us about prophetic promise. He's teaching about a future kingdom and he's teaching us about kingdom culture being a reality in our lives right now. When we pray thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching us about submission and surrender. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's teaching us about provision and supply. We look to him for our provision and for our supply. When we pray, forgive us our debts, he is teaching us about confession and repentance. And we all stand in need of confessing and repenting before God. When we pray as we forgive our debtors, he is teaching us that we have freely received forgiveness and now it is our obligation to freely forgive others and extend others grace that have offended us. 
He's teaching us to be like our Father. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, he's teaching us about reliance and dependency upon him to overcome our adversary and the evil one. When we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, he's teaching us about rejoicing and worship and praise unto his name. We have covered a lot of ground in the last six weeks. And I made mention just before, you know, I began ministering this particular message. I, I don't feel like God is completely through with this series, but I don't know how long we'll continue. But we're going to have a guest speaker next week, and then the week after that, I'm going to be continuing preaching about prayer. But we have covered a lot of ground as we studied more closely the principles that are laid out in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I believe that God laid this message and this word, this series upon my heart to encourage us to become more prayerful. I believe that God laid this series on my heart that we could become more effective when we do pray. I believe that God laid this series upon my heart because, amen, it is time for the church of the living God to pray. It's time for the church of the Lord, amen, to fall upon their knees and, and make their heart right with God, amen, and call upon the name of the Lord in truth and in spirit and call upon God that God might intervene. The Bible said, though we live in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, but the weapons of our war warfare, amen, are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I believe that God is wanting his church to rise up in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and begin to pray so that we can see some changes in our society. Hmm. Hallelujah. As, as we close, this morning, I want you just simply to bow your heads. You know this prayer. You have been taught this prayer from your childhood. We have read the scriptures the past six weeks. And as we close this portion of this series and close with this text, I want to invite you just to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Just in your heart, bow your head and say with me, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Don't allow us to be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the adversary. 
The adversary that walks around as a roaring, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, deliver us from the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Deliver us from evil. For thine, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So be it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are still closed here this morning. I'm going to ask you here in this place, those of you that are watching, I'm going to ask you, if you have been following this sermon series, if you have been touched by the presence of the Lord, if you feel the Holy Spirit in your heart right now prompting you, saying, my son, my daughter, I'm calling you to a place of prayer. I'm calling you to a place of activity. I'm calling you to call upon me then right now, right where you are, I just want you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, here am I. I may not sing, I may not, I may not play an instrument, I may, not be, I may not be a speaker, but Lord, I can pray. And right now, Lord, I feel you calling me to become a prayer warrior in the house of God. And right now, Lord, I say yes. Yes. Let me become that prayer warrior. Let lives be changed through the prayers that your people pray. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you would be willing to slip up your hand and say, Lord, that's me. I commit to you right now. I feel you calling me to pray and I commit to you right now that I will become more prayerful than I have been. Just slip up your hand and say, yes, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. Stand to your feet all over the building here this morning. God, I thank you for every single hand. I thank you for every single hand. Bless every heart. Let the word be seated deep within our spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead.